Good morning and welcome to our outdoor worship service here at First Baptist Oakhurst. Um, our welcome and call to worship is going to come from 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 1. So 1 Peter 5 verse 1. Uh, just a couple of announcements. We're outdoors here again and Lord willing we'll be back out here again next Sunday. So uh, again we'll just kind of keep it. Uh, out here at 9 a.m. on Sundays for the time being. Uh, so Lord willing, we'll be back out here again next Sunday at, at 9 a.m. Uh, also, what, one other thing. Can you guys hear me or no? No? There you go. That's okay. better. What's that? Talk into the mic more. Okay. Not turn up the volume? Just talk closer. Okay. I'll talk closer. How about that? Does that sound better? I'll just hold it. Okay. <laughs> well, if you didn't hear anything that I said... Next Sunday at 9 a.m., we'll be back out, out here. So uh, we're just going to plan on being out here for the time being, as long as the weather permits. So next Sunday, we'll be back outside at, at 9 a.m. here. Um, and then our, also, our welcome and call to worship is coming from 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Uh, one other announcement, as we kind of look towards the fall and our typical fall Bible study, one of the, uh, we've got a couple of ideas of how we might do that. And so we're going to send out an email either this week or next week with, uh, with a survey for you to fill out, just kind of gauging your interest, if you'd be interested in coming, uh, or if you'd be interested in doing sort of like an online Bible study where we all get on Zoom or something like that. And for some of you who have never used it, it's, it's pretty simple, kind of. And, uh, but we could, uh, if that's something we're really interested in, feel more comfortable doing it online, then, uh, then we can look at, at doing that. And uh, we could kind of walk you through how to do it. If you haven't used Zoom, um, we, we can kind of help you with that. So something we're just thinking about. So check your email uh, in the next uh, week or so and just kind of let us know where, where you're at with that. So. With that in mind, let's turn our attention to God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, we'll begin reading in verse 1. God's Word says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now, and God, we thank you uh, for this day. To, to gather out here together to sing your praises, to receive your word. So, Lord, we ask that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, and that you would be high and exalted through our praises and through the receiving of the word today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to, would you please stand to join us in singing. copy of O Lord, My Rock and My Redeemer. Uh, we do have some printed off if you need one of those.
daddy. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. We will pick up where we left off last week in verse 19. Philippians chapter 2 verse 19. 
God's word says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send, to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he, near, for he nearly died for the, for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we thank you for this time that we have now in your word, and Lord, I ask that you would be honored and that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word, so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. Now, as we come to this passage, uh, no one's life verse comes from this section, right, of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, it's likely that none of you would say any of these verses in here, in this section of Philippians 2, would be your life verse, the, the theme verse, or, or even one of your favorite verses for your life. You know, I'll be honest, I've never heard anyone say that Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, that is their favorite verse in the Bible. Or Philippians 2, verse 27, that's their favorite verse in the Bible. In fact, when you look at this section of chapter 2, compared to the rest of the chapter, where you have the, the heights of, of Christ's glory, you have His humiliation, His exaltation, and then, as we saw last week, the, the call to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and God working in you, this section may seem like a bit of a letdown. But... I want you to know that there is a lot more here in this text that's, apl that's applicable to your life when you look a little bit closer. Although you may not find your life verse or your favorite verse from these verses, these verses show us a good example of how to live our lives. In fact, we're given two examples of lives that, that were lived worthy of the gospel and that were poured out for the sake of others. We'll take a look first at, at Timothy, who, and we'll see his genuine concern for Christ and his genuine concern for others. And then we'll take a look at Epaphroditus, and we'll see his courageous service for the building up of the church and for the spread of the gospel. And as we remember where we've been in Philippians, Paul has been modeling for the church at Philippi, and he's been calling the Philippians to live their lives of joyful courage, courageous joy in Christ. We saw at the end of chapter 1, verse 27, that he calls them to live lives worthy of the gospel. Chapter 2, he then calls them to live united and, and humble lives, 
Humility in the life of the believer, as he shows us, is meant to flow out of the gospel. Jesus humbling himself, even to death on the cross. And this act of humility, it, it saves Christ's people from their sins and then calls us to live lives worthy of the gospel. We saw last week how our humility and living lives worthy of the gospel is marked by what? It's marked by an absence of grumbling and complaining. Because God is at work in us, we are to stop complaining. Because God is at work in us, we're to hold fast to the word of life. And because God is at work in our lives, we are called to rejoice. And now as we move to the second half of chapter 2, where Paul holds up Timothy and Epaphroditus' examples of, of humble service and, and uh, uh, for the sake of Christ, and he holds them up as examples for concern for others. Paul, remember, he's instructing us and instructing them to live lives worthy of the gospel. He instructed them and in what that looks like. He gave them the imperatives that we saw last week, the, the commands of, of how to do this and why to do this. And now he's moving from those imperatives to illustrations. Or we could say he's moving from those commands to examples of what that looks like, of what a life lived worthy of the gospel looks like, and what a life poured out for the sake of others looks like. So we could say that these two examples here in 19 through 30, of these two examples of, of Timothy and Epaphroditus, are living illustrations. And you know, we need these living illustrations. It, it's said sometimes that, that Christian character is as much caught as it is taught. Yes, we absolutely need the instruction of the rest of chapter 2. We won't understand how to live unless we have that instruction of how to live. But we also need examples. We also need illustrations. You know, which is one of the reasons why I found in my own personal life uh, the reading of Christian biographies as particularly helpful. Being reminded of these living illustrations of what it looks like to follow Christ faithfully. And so let's take a look at these two illustrations of lives lived with a genuine concern for others and a love for Christ. Verse 19, Paul starts off, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So Paul describes sort of these, this hope that he has for travels. And, and I want you to, to, look, to notice this. Paul's travel plans are rooted in the fact that Jesus is what? Jesus is Lord. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. And if you look down at verse 24, he says, I trust in the Lord. The, the Lordship of Jesus over Paul's plans is on display. You know, even in the small plan of sending Timothy, Paul still acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of this area. Christ is Lord over all the plans that we make, both big and small. And Paul gives us here also, notice his, he, he, his purpose in sending Timothy is for what? That I too may be cheered by news of you. Paul's hope in this letter sent to the church at, at Philippi is that they would be encouraged. That they would be encouraged to live faithful lives. That they would be encouraged by Paul's faithfulness and Paul's boldness. 
so that they could live faithful and bold lives. He's hoping that this letter would bring encouragement to them. And likewise, uh, that, that in sending Timothy, he would send a good report back of their progress in the faith. And so notice that. Even in these seemingly small matters, right? This travel itinerary, the sending of, of one of his fellow workers to visit a church, he is acknowledging that Christ is Lord. Friends, do you acknowledge that in the big plans of your life and the small plans of your life, that Jesus is Lord? Or do you act as if your plans are simply for the fact that you are the Lord of your life? Don't miss that. Now, he goes on in verse 20 and 24, 20 through 24, and he gives us this living illustration of Timothy. Timothy, who has a genuine concern for Christ and for others. So although Paul wants to send Timothy, he's not going to do it right away. He, he, noticed, he, he says later he's going to send Epaphroditus as soon as possible, but Timothy is going to stay longer. Maybe the Philippians were expecting Timothy to come right away. We're not sure. But Paul goes on to describe who Timothy is. He describes Timothy's faithfulness and why he's going to stay longer. Verse 20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul says that there's no one else like Timothy. Why? Because he is what? He is genuinely concerned for others. He's truly concerned with the well-being of the Philippians. He loves the church and he cares for others. He goes on, verse 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What we have here is Paul is describing Timothy in verse 20. In verse 21, there's a contrast here between true and false gospel workers, between genuine followers of Jesus who, who lead the church and false teachers who care for themselves only. So there's a contrast. Whereas Timothy is genuinely concerned for others and seeks the interests of Jesus, and he's demonstrated his faithfulness and service, these false teachers are those who seek only what? Who seek only their own interests. Who care only for themselves. Brothers and sisters, serving Jesus involves serving others. Or as Paul said in verse 17, it involves pouring out our lives for the sake of others. Serving others in ways that is often inconvenient for you. Serving others even when you don't get the praise and the recognition that you likely deserve for your service. So how are you going about serving others? Friends, do you have a genuine concern for the interests of Christ? Do you have a genuine concern and care for those around you? Or are you like these false teachers who seek only their own interests? Paul goes on now and he's going to describe this companionship that he has with Timothy. Verse 22, he says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Paul views Timothy like a son in the faith. Friends, do you have anyone 
that you are pouring your light into? Could it be that so many churches are in decline today because we have failed to pour our lives into others? Could it be that we have failed to pass down the faith? Could it be that we thought that the responsibility of of teaching and discipling is only for the so-called experts? Friend, I ask you this morning, who are you teaching and discipling? Who is your son or daughter in the faith? Who are you pouring your life out for and your life out into? Paul gives us that model here of him pouring out his life into Timothy's. And how Timothy has proven his worth as a son with a father. You know, yes, Paul's, uh, Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. But we also see that he is his co-laborer. He was a friend, a co-worker to Paul. Notice Paul says, as a son with a father. That with, showing that he's working with him. Timothy has been Paul's gospel companion. They've labored together to to build up the church, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy was his friend and his co-laborer. And what made Timothy such a good friend? We see that he served with and cared for Paul. Do you have friends like that? Who serve with you and care for you? Let me ask you, are you that kind of friend to others? serving and caring for others' interests above your own. So Paul is, what he's doing here is he's giving that, the Philippians that living illustration of how Timothy was a good friend in the faith. And he models, how Timothy models a life that is worthy of the gospel. A life that is lived with a genuine concern for Christ and for others. And then in verse 25, he he moves on now to describe Epaphroditus. And and we're going to see a life of courageous service. So Paul gives this second example here to follow. The example of Epaphroditus. And he tells them, he's not going to send Timothy right away, but he's going to send Epaphroditus back to them. Who is this? Who is Epaphroditus? We don't know much about him. In fact, the only other place he's mentioned in the Bible is in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 18. The only thing we know about Epaphroditus is that he was that Philippi sent him to Paul to bless, uh, to bless Paul with a, fi- fi- a financial gift, a, a sort of love offering, or we could say a, a missionary support for his ministry. That's all we know about him. He was sent from Philippi to take this financial gift to Paul. And and it's possible they expected him to stay longer with Paul, but Paul says he's going to send him back to them because he got sick and almost died. We don't know why, we don't know what, but it almost killed him. But look at the way Paul describes him. He says, my brother and fellow worker and soldier who's your messenger and minister to my need. First of all, Paul describes him as a brother. Paul, an apostle, one of the authorities in the church. But he calls this relatively unknown man brother. And this is a reminder how through faith in Jesus, all of us are adopted by God the Father. 
When we place our faith in Christ, when we become a Christian, we trust in Jesus. Salvation and all of the blessings of salvation is not just that you're saved from hell, but that you have a relationship with God the Father and that you were adopted as his very own child. He calls him brother. He calls him a fellow work, fellow worker. The, the greatest missionary known to the church calls this man a fellow worker, one who's laboring side by side with Paul. You know what's interesting? Paul doesn't see Timothy and he doesn't see Epaphroditus as some sort of subordinates of his. But as those who labor side by side with him for the church and for the spread of the gospel. So brother, fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. He uses one of his favorite metaphors for the Christian life, that of warfare. He calls, he calls Epaphroditus a soldier. Paul and Epaphroditus, they have served on the battlefield together. They've been through spiritual warfare together. Believer, have you forgotten that you are at spiritual war? Or have you fallen asleep and let your guard down to sin and to temptation? Don't forget that the Christian life is a life of war against sin and temptation. He also calls a messenger. He's been sent out by the Philippians on a mission to minister and bless Paul. He calls him a minister. He's sent for the purpose of ministering to and blessing the Apostle Paul. And that word carries with it this idea of priestly service. We also see in verse 26, he has a genuine concern. He was distressed because the Philippians heard that he was ill. He was concerned that they might be worried about him. He was distressed for them. That word there for distressed is actually the same word that's used in Gethsemane to describe the anguish and the distress that Jesus felt prior to his death. That was the concern. That was the love that Epaphroditus had for his fellow brothers and sisters in Philippi. So we see that he is a brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, minister, concern for others. Wouldn't those characteristics be wonderful characteristics to define your life? A brother, a worker, a soldier, a messenger, a minister, concern for others? Would that be how you want people to remember you at your funeral? What a wonderful way to be described. And then we see in verse 27, Indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So despite the sickness, and despite all Epaphroditus went through, he was still concerned for them. And I also want you to note what verse 27, see what verse 27 teaches us about death, about the sorrow of death. Notice how Paul describes, if he would have lost Epaphroditus, what would he have, what, how did he describe it? So that God spared me from what? Sorrow upon sorrow. Now, if you look back at Philippians 1 verse 21, Paul says that it's far better to be with Christ than to be alive. He teaches that to be with Christ is far better. When the Christian dies, they are with the Lord, and that's far better than this present age. 
Yet we see here in Philippians chapter 2, at the same time, though, that death is still sorrowful. On such an occasion of a loss of a loved one, to feel sorrow is normal. Jesus wept, right, in John chapter 11 when he lost Lazarus, even knowing that just in a couple of moments he would heal him and raise him to life. You know, maybe you've been to uh, some funerals where it seems like the minister only wants to celebrate and, and make light of death, to make it seem like death is not meant to be sorrowful. It's just a sort of graduation, so let's all be happy. But you see, friends, when that happens, we really miss out on the whole picture. Because death is a reminder of the sin-cursed world that we live in. Death is a great sorrow, as Paul describes here. So we can still say that, yes, for the believer, death is sorrowful, but it's also a time for the believer to have hope. Because death is not the end. I say this to you so that you know it's okay to grieve the loss of a loved one. It's okay to have sorrow over losing somebody you love. But take that grief and take that sorrow to God. Don't make light of death. But, don't, but also understand that death for the believer is not the end. Paul is teaching us here in Philippians 1 and Philippians 2 that yes, to be with Christ is far better and yet we can say at the same time that death is sorrowful. Friend, if you're grieving, if you're sorrowful over the loss of a loved one, don't lose hope. Take your grief, take your sorrow to God. As we continue in Philippians 2 verse 28, Paul is, is eager to send Epaphroditus back so he wouldn't have to worry that the church wouldn't have to worry about Epaphroditus and he would not have to worry about the church being worried. <laughs> There's a bunch of worrying happening here, right? He's concerned that the church is worried about him. We say he's worried that the church is worried about him. And so Paul is going to send him back. And upon receiving him, what are they to do? He says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. They're to receive and honor him. Why? Because he risked his life. He nearly died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to bless Paul and to further the gospel of Jesus. And Paul tells them to do what? Paul tells them to honor him. Honor this man for doing what? What did he do? He took a love offering to Paul. Isn't that interesting? Such a small, small act in the grand scheme of life. Yet he selflessly served. Not for praise. He didn't serve for honor. He was serving the Lord Jesus Christ in the advancement of the gospel by selflessly risking his life to bless a fellow worker and brother in the faith. Friends, this passage should be incredibly encouraging to all of us. Here is this command to honor Epaphroditus. That should encourage every single one of us. Just as in Paul's day, 
in our day as well, usually only the famous, talented, powerful are those who receive praise and honor. But here, Epaphroditus, this simple messenger, who we know almost nothing about other than he took a love offering, he got sick, and he almost died. This simple messenger from a church with a love offering humbly served the church, humbly served Jesus, he sacrificed, and Paul says what? Paul says to honor him. Uh, Epaphroditus had no idea that when he set off to deliver that money to Paul, he had no idea that he would nearly die. But he also had no idea that he would receive honor that's inscripturated here. You know, friends, it's easy or easier to make sacrifices when you know others are going to acknowledge you, when you know that you're going to get praise and honor. It's harder when you know others won't. You know, I think of the widow in Luke 21 who had such a small offering. It likely made no noise when she placed it in the offering box at the temple. But com especially compared to the loud offerings of the rich pouring out all of these coins into the treasuries there. Yes, they received the honor of their fellow, their fellow uh, uh, Israelites. But you know who noticed the widow? Jesus noticed her. Jesus saw her risk. Jesus saw her sacrifice. Friends, although others may receive attention and receive glory and receive praise from their fellow, uh, their fellow man, that praise will one day be no more. You know, what matters for the believer is faithfulness. God sees your faithfulness, friend. He sees you striving for holiness. He sees your sacrifice on behalf of others. He sees your life poured out for others. Don't get caught up in worldly desires for praise and for fame and for glory. What good is it if you gain the whole world, yet you lose your soul? Friend, the Lord sees your faithfulness. All of the sacrifice in the world will be worth it when you hear those final words from the Lord Jesus Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Friend, if you're thinking about giving up, don't. Don't give in to sin. Don't go down that road to sin and temptation, that road that is wide and easy and leads to destruction. Forsake your sin. Fight against temptation. Live your life for Christ and for others more than living for yourself. Don't buy into the garbage that the world is selling you that in order to, to be happy, you need to be rich or you need to have a nice and easy retirement or you simply need to just follow your desires and do whatever you want, even if it contradicts God's word. Don't buy that garbage. Don't buy it. Think, thinking only for yourself and looking out only for your own interests. That will only lead to emptiness and it will lead to destruction. Don't feed on that garbage or else you will find your faith shipwrecked. Look at the sacrifice of these men in chapter 2 of Philippians. Pouring out their lives for others. Follow their example. Let me be clear. 
I'm not trying to deify these men or saying that we need to worship them. No, they can't save, right? Timothy and Epaphroditus are still sinners. It's only Jesus who saves. And if you repent of your sins and place your faith in him and you follow after him, you too will be saved. But these men serve as examples. And we need examples for the Christian life. It's not wrong to honor them. It's biblical to honor them. It's not wrong to encourage someone for their faithfulness. We can't worship them. We give honor to whom honor is due. So what do we learn from all of this? Well, friends, we often are drawn to the extraordinary. But here we see God uses the ordinariness of our lives. A man taking some support money to Paul. How simple is that? How easily the church gets drawn into and sucked into the culture of, of, of sensationalism, of extraordinary, where we get bored so easily. We want to be fierce and untamed and extraordinary. Live your best life now. Become an incredibly amazing person that you were meant to be. If you just get up in the morning and you wash your face and set amazing goals and you crush your daily goals for breakfast and we forget or we even downplay the ordinary and faithful service that brings glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful Christian living for you might mean something extraordinary. It might mean some great sacrifice, such as martyrdom or taking the gospel to an unreached people who've never heard of the name of Jesus. And we should absolutely celebrate and honor those examples. We should honor those who are faithful in persecution. I'm not saying that God has not called you to that. Maybe he has. But it's likely for most of us, we're more like Epaphroditus than we are Paul. For most of us, we'll be less like Billy Graham preaching to millions, playing golf with world leaders, and more like the faithful brother or sister who nobody knows who shared Christ with you and God saved you that day. For most of us, serving Jesus means a faithful daily plotting, living our lives for others, pouring our lives out for others in the advancement of the gospel, little by little, serving discreetly, serving quietly. Whether it be something as simple as babysitting for a struggling mom or praying with a friend in a crisis or sharing the gospel with our neighbor, or dropping an encouraging card in the mail or having a lonely friend over for dinner, over the long haul of our lives. Now know this, friend. I'm not saying the Christian life is meant to be a life of mediocrity. Is the Christian life a life of mediocrity and laziness? Not at all. Just the opposite. Since when did the call from Jesus Christ himself to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily become a call to a mediocre life? A life of mediocrity is a life that's lived only for yourself. But a life that's a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to the Lord is a life that's poured out for the sake of others, poured out so that the gospel of Jesus would continue to go forth to the ends of the earth and the church will be built up. Friends, this takes sacrifice and it takes time, but Jesus is worth it. You might not find your life verse from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. But you'll see two examples 
of lives poured out for the sake of Christ in ordinary, faithful service to Christ and for others. I was struck by this passage this week because it's so ordinary, isn't it? And it should be such an encouragement to every single one of us. Ordinary faithfulness. Day by day, trusting in Jesus. Day by day, being faithful to what he has called us to do. Don't get caught up in the garbage of sensationalism, thinking that, that only if you are popular and rich that you've lived a good life. Don't buy that garbage. Ordinary service. Lives poured out for the sake of Christ in service of others. That's far more worthy than a life lived solely for yourself. You probably won't find your life verse here, but maybe you should. In fact, I printed this verse out this week and it's on my desk now. Verses 28 through 30. Just a reminder, ordinary faithfulness. This might not be your favorite verse in the Bible, but maybe it should be. Because you see two examples here of a life worth living. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. God, we thank you that you have given us examples of how to live lives worthy of the gospel. Of how the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and Jesus Christ risen from the dead transforms us. Calls us to deny our own sinful desires and to live for the sake of Jesus, to live for the sake of others. We thank you that you've given us, us these examples of what that looks like. And so Lord, we ask in light of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in light of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, that you would strengthen us to live lives worthy of the gospel for the sake of Jesus and the life marked by a concern for others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to, would you please stand and join us in singing How Great Thou Art.
Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. One thing I just want to encourage you about, last week uh, in the sermon in Philippians 2, we were talking about grumbling and complaining. I just want to encourage you all, you've been doing a fantastic job of not grumbling and complaining, well, at least to me, <laughs> about being flexible, meeting outside. I know that it's not the easiest to be walking around out here. It's not the easiest to sit in the sun or try to follow the shade, but I just want to encourage you to keep it up and just thank you for honestly being an encouragement to me and uh, seeing your lack of complaining and, and grumbling. As we go forth from here, um, let's, uh, let's continue to, to live lives of, of joy and rejoicing in Christ. So let's pray. Father, we come before you now. God, how great you truly are. As we leave from here, may our souls truly be singing how great you are. Lord, we ask for opportunities this week that we would see the opportunities that you give us to share the good news of joy and life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may we live our lives with a concern for Jesus and a concern and care for those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.